You can go ahead and take a seat. Good morning and welcome again to Church of the Cross. My name is Peter. I also am one of the priests here. It is uh, the first Sunday of spring break. We lost an hour of sleep. Uh, there are members of our community who are out with COVID, but it is good to be gathered together in the name of the Lord. St. Augustine once told the story of a marriage proposal gone tragically wrong. The ring was ready, the partners were willing, and the setting was perfectly romantic. Only one problem. At the key moment, the moment of proposal, the question asked, the answer waiting to be given, the bride-to-be, the fiancé-to-be, became distracted. Such was the beauty, the quality of the ring that was offered, the token of her lover's affection that her sight of what the ring symbolized was lost. Rather than give her answer, she laid hold of the ring and ran off. Augustine ends the scene with this proposal, bizarrely unanswered, the proposer abandoned, with the woman's affections fixed upon the ring, the token, and not what the ring meant. Obviously, this tragicomic scene is meant to be taken as wholly absurd. Who would do such a thing? Such a person who could become so easily, so fully distracted, Augustine suggests we are to hold in scorn. It's this humorous, tragicomic scene, but the point he's describing is deadly serious and appropriate for the season of Lent. We are all too easily distracted by the good things of life, the good gifts of God's creation. So easy to lose sight of the deeper and truer gift, the gift to which these things point, the gift of himself. We set our focus, our desire too low on earthly things as we just heard read, written by the Apostle Paul. We forget what is truly needed. We forget that what we long after is the gift of God himself, the gift of intimacy with him, the good gifts of creation. They're tokens of his affection. But you and I were made for something more, for life with God, for the abundant life that Jesus alone offers. During the season of Lent, in these seven weeks, we have the opportunity for recalibration, the opportunity to rightly place the good gifts of creation, whatever they might be, sugar or television, food and conversation, work, to place those in proportion to the surpassing gift of God himself, to reposition these perhaps as tokens of God's affection, indicative of his love and concern, but ultimately things that pale in comparison to life with him. For this season, we Fast, we take a moment, we declare to God and to ourselves that good as these things are, we want more. We want him more. He is the one we need. He is the one we desire. The one for whom we're made. We declare to God and to ourselves that our end lies beyond the enjoyment of created things and lies with an eternal God who has made us and desires us for himself. That is the intention of our Lenten practice. And yet the truth of the matter is, is that we are physical beings made with appetites 
and even needs in creation. Physical, material needs. Some of you lost an hour of sleep, so you're especially in contact with the need we have for rest. In our Old Testament reading this morning from Genesis 15, Abram articulates a sense of need, does he not? His questions of the Lord are related to land and the provision of a biological heir. But these fundamentally boil down to questions about security, about his future. Will there be a future for me, a secure future for my descendants? Will there be a future according to what has been promised? Or is my hope misplaced? Perhaps some of you this morning can identify with Abram's questions, considering what's going on in the world, right? The threat of war, the threat of climate change, the very real questions related to demographic decline and aging populations. What does the future hold? Perhaps considering the circumstances of your own life. What is the way forward in my marriage, in my vocation? What is the way forward for my children? What is the way forward for me in my loneliness? Questions related to security and provision, questions related to the future. Is there a future? To be human is to feel the force of these questions. To be human is to bleed. To be alive is to be acquainted with needs and limitation. These are a part of life, every human life, as a created and finite being, particularly in a broken and disordered world. Each of us has or will stand in the place of Abram in Genesis 15, questioning with this deep sense of need of, Promise uncertain, unfulfilled. In the season of Lent, as we deprive ourselves in various ways, perhaps we are especially in touch with this reality. Our hungers made more apparent. The, the things which we use to medicate the pain, the uncertainty away, removed from us. One of the features you'll notice of our worship in Lent is the veiled cross. Perhaps if you're new to our worship, you're like, why? That is a curious element. The idea is simply one of hiding the glory of God as represented by the cross. The cross is this symbol of death, right? The state-sanctioned death of Jesus. But paradoxically, in the resurrection, it has become this symbol of God's goodness, his grace, his triumph. It's a sign that the life of God is unbroken by death, that his love is unbowed into the future, into eternity. And this season, we veil that sign. We dampen our hallelujahs as a reminder of the ways that the glory and goodness of God are so often obscured to us now. For us, for others, for those whose lives are closely linked with ours. There are so many ways in which God's presence and promise are veiled to us now. The ways we don't see his goodness and grace at work in our lives, in the world. And so we raise our voices with Abrams. Where is the evidence of a future? How can we know we will gain possession of what has been promised? How and when will we taste and see the goodness of the Lord? God, where are you? We all have those people in our lives 
whom we love, but they're a bit much, don't we? Might be a friend, might be a family member, might be someone very close to you, and you love them. But in those moments when they're a bit too much for you, you react with impatience, anger, some kind of negative emotion. You come to the end of yourself. It's not that you don't like them, you don't love them. Their needs are just more than you can bear. God is not like this. In our moment of complaint, in our moment of doubt about the promise, in our questioning of the future, we are never too much for the living God. He never comes to the ends of his resources for us. Such is his abundance. Notice in Genesis 15, God's response, his engagement with Abram. God does not rebuke him. God does not pull back from Abram in the experience of doubt and question. God does not look away from his suffering. It is not too much. The Lord's first statement is, do not be afraid, Abram. God perseveres in intimacy with him. And just as he calls to Adam in the garden in the beginning, to Mary in the garden of Jesus' resurrection, he calls Abram by name. This intimate address, he speaks to the deepest realities of his heart, to his fear and anxiety. He calls him by name. And he addresses these realities by revealing himself. He says, I am your shield and your great reward. The word shield appears in the Old Testament some 60 times, nearly half of which are connected to the Lord. Many of them are in the Psalms where repeatedly the Lord identifies himself as the shield, a shield to those who are in need, a shield for the people of God in their distress and uncertainty. He is their help and their shield connecting it to the language of Psalm 27, what we prayed this morning. God reveals himself as one who protects and helps in the midst of present earthly dangers. God's identity as one who is a shield, of course, speaks to the reality of the cross, right? By the gift of his own life, the life of Jesus, God shields you and I from the just effects of our sin. But it is more than that. It is this reality that extends into our created life, our daily life. God is the sustainer, the provider in the midst of trouble and uncertainty. And the paradoxical gift of times of trouble, of suffering, is so often it is in these experiences that we come to see and know that God truly is our shield and our help. This revelation so often takes the form of God's abundant provision in times of suffering and brokenness, where his generosity is made manifest in this unexpected, perhaps even miraculous way. Some of you have stories like this, a glimpse of his glory and goodness in the midst of the challenge, the uncertainty of life, healing for weak and broken bodies, a word of wisdom and direction in a time of confusion, a deeper awareness of his accompaniment of us in times of loneliness and despair. As we are stripped of our earthly gifts, as we are stripped of those things that we so often come to rely, we see the truth of who God is, our shield, our portion, our help. These tokens are not our right to demand 
but they are the lavish gift of one who loves and cares for us. Jesus makes this plain. God the Father knows what you need before you ask. Despite the danger that we might become distracted, that we might lose the gift giver for the gift, still he provides, still he protects, still he gives. This morning, in keeping with our emphasis this Lenten season upon prayer, following the sermon, we'll have this extended time for prayer, for worship. In just a few moments, we'll begin with the litany of healing, this catalog of areas in our world and in our lives where we long to know the Lord as shield and helper. And then during a time of extended worship, there will be people in the various corners of this room available to pray with you about any need you may have, physical, spiritual, emotional, financial. Praying with expectation that God wants to reveal himself to you in your area of need to protect, to provide, to help you, to make a way, to make a future where there seem to be none. He is our shield and help in the present moment of trouble and uncertainty. Notice too, however, that God also says to Abraham that I am your reward. I am your great reward. A shield for today and a reward into the future. Beyond what God may, what he can provide, he himself is our reward. Above all other gifts is the gift of God himself. I've spoken over the last months or weeks, my own experience growing up in the Pentecostal tradition and of there being these profound experiences, especially in my teenage years, of a word of truth or some kind of moment where it was undeniable of God's presence and power, his movement in my life. And to be honest with you, the particulars of some of those episodes, those experiences, have been lost to me. They, I don't remember them. But what remains is this profound sense in key moments of God being with me, of him showing himself to be for me, of him knowing and seeing and loving me. That is what remains, the gift of his presence. Above all other gifts is the gift of God himself. He alone is the one that satisfies our deepest longings, whether we recognize it or not, are for him. And just as he is the giver of good gifts, not withholding the gifts of protection and healing, life and blessing, he does not deprive us of the gift of himself. He does not hide his face from us. He longs to draw near to us. This is what Jesus declares in our gospel reading, right? Jerusalem, you're not willing. The implication is he is willing. And the image there is one of protection. Yes, being a shield, but also of profound intimacy. Under the wings of the Lord, you cannot get closer. He longs to draw near. For some of us today, we may not have this acute sense, an acute sense of need for God to do anything in particular, like we feel taken care of, such that we might be like, well, I don't really have anything to come forward in prayer for. But for all of us, to all of us, God does offer this gift of his life-giving, life-transforming presence. To be human 
is to have the need for his presence. Communion with him is our deepest need and his most profound gift. So perhaps to this morning, you have no sense of acute need for a token of his love, healing, a word of wisdom. But each of us do at some level hunger and thirst for what he alone can provide, himself. And by his spirit, Paul writes, he longs to fill us with the fullness of God. The book of Ecclesiastes says God has set eternity in our hearts. There is an eternity-shaped hole in you that only the eternal, only an eternal triune God can fill. So don't allow our sense, perhaps, of things generally being all right to deprive you of this greater gift, the gift of himself. Use these next moments to enter into communion with him. If you have set your faith in Christ, that communion is yours. It is your birthright. It is your inheritance made possible by God, the gift of God's son and the gift of his spirit. I know that for some of us, perhaps the idea of communion, union with Christ, and being in the presence together is foreign, is kind of new. And the idea of just like, okay, we're just going to sit here for a few minutes and the band's going to play, can feel awkward or odd. So I want to offer just some basic framing, some basic encouragement. In the coming moments, you can sit, you can stand, you can just be. Any bodily posture is appropriate. You can pray by yourself. You can be silent and still. You can draw upon your neighbor, the person you came with. Pray with them. You might simply seek to praise God, to name some of his attributes, his holiness, his mercy, things for which you're thankful. God, you are loving. God, you are just. Work your justice in the world. You might pray and ask for more of his Holy Spirit, for his presence in your life, a deeper awareness of his love for you. The part that I just talked about, about this sense of being seen and known and loved by God. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you are talking about. And God's desire for you is to know and experience his presence. That is something you can definitely go and ask someone to pray with you for. I just need an awareness of his presence with me and for me. If you find yourself unsure how to pray, what to think even in this time, in this space, pay attention to the words that will be prayed. Pay attention to the words that will be sung. Is there a phrase, a chorus, a verse that resonates with you? So often for me, that is how I have a sense of of drawing near to the Lord. There's a phrase, a chorus that I fix my attention upon and the words become this vehicle of communion, a way of opening ourselves up to the truth of who God is, the truth of his presence with us, a means of opening our souls to him. And as you do this, as you open your soul to the Lord, I am confident that he will meet you. The fact of the matter is, is we may scorn the woman in Augustine's story, the proposal gone wrong, but each of us has acted, does act in just the same way. We have seized upon the lower tokens of affection that God has given, earthly things, at the expense of communion with him. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we've seen the good gifts of creation are pleasing to the eye and we have grasped after these lesser gifts 
at the expense of God's greater gift of himself, we each have scorned his love. But if the story of this botched proposal were to unfold according to the gospel, it would not end there. Rather, the story would and should continue with the groom, the groom-to-be, the fiancé-to-be, running after, chasing after the one who has scorned him, extending himself even further, not allowing any obstacle to hinder, extending himself as our great reward. This is what God has done in Christ and continues to do by the power of the Holy Spirit for us. He draws near. He extends himself to us. He has made a way for us to be in communion. We who are easily distracted, wooed away from his affection. And he longs to give us the gift of life, of participation with him today and into the future. God is your shield. He is your great reward. He is your portion for today. He is your future. And so we rehearse now, we practice now communion with him that is our future. If there is one lens with which I would frame this time, these next moments, if there's one lens with which I would frame for you the season of Lent, and I would hope to be bold the whole of your life, it is that of God's generosity. Out of God's generosity, he has given us good gifts, tokens of his love and power and care. And even as we are tempted to set our focus on these things, prosperity, security, health, still he gives. And by his generosity, God may deprive us or lead us to deprive ourselves in fasting and other disciplines. Fasting these good but lesser gifts that we might see and hunger after the greater gift, the greater gift of his presence for which we are made and which he is so very eager to give. Our Heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows the questions, the uncertainty that you bring into this space this morning. And he longs to give what you need. And above all, he longs to give what you most deeply need, the gift of himself, his life-giving, his grace-filled, his restorative presence in communion with you. So let us draw near with faith and ask for those things which he longs to give. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.